Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Uh, real privilege to be here and amongst you. Um, it's actually my first time here, and um, I've been in this area for the last 15 years, uh, leading um, what over the last seven or eight years has been called Life Church Manchester. Um, and um, uh, so I've known of you as a church family, but not sort of been here. So it feels like a real privilege just to come and have some time with you this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation and the welcome. Um, Emma, who is my wife, would often uh, want to come with me and, and be with me and would have loved to have come and get a flavour and feel for who you are. And I know would have enjoyed being amongst you. But she also manages our cafe, and which we have a big event happening this afternoon um, following on from our morning service, and so it's expected to be very busy. So she just said, you know what, I think I have to be there. So she sends her love, but was uh, unable to come this morning. My kids, uh, to be honest, they're just very one-eyed, and um, they only want to be at Life Church. So uh, they're there this morning, and uh, they love being there. Um, as you will have picked up, you are starting this series of uh, generosity, and, and I trust many of you are engaging in this um, sort of opportunity to think on a daily basis throughout Lent, um, although I think you get to take a break on a Sunday, I'm not quite sure how that works, but um, uh, of how you can, instead of giving up, give out and be a generous people. And of course, the early church are just the most fantastic example of what it means to be generous in all sorts of ways. And I've been asked this morning if I would speak about generous with the gospel, how we can be generous with the gospel. And we're going to read just a few verses in Acts chapter 5, where we see uh, this being modelled in many ways uh, by the apostles. And just before we read these verses, I guess it's always helpful, isn't it, to understand the context of what we're, we're talking about. So in the immediate context, if you read back over uh, Acts chapter 5, is that there have been all sorts of miracles... And, um, and the chief priests and the Sadducees have got a bit annoyed and angry and don't like it, a bit jealous. And so they've had the apostles arrested. And um, so they get put in prison. And then uh, an angel of the Lord arrives in the middle of the night and brings them out of prison. Uh, while the guards and everyone else is totally unaware of what's happening. And... Um, they then, as soon as they're out, they go during the day in, back into the, all the marketplace and everything and start preaching the gospel again and just telling people about the goodness of God. And, uh, and then they're like, wait a minute, these guys were meant to be in prison. What has happened? And they're there and they want to try and kill them. They've just had it with them. Um, but a guy called Gamaliel sort of says, wait a minute, I'm not sure that's such a good idea. If I was you, I wouldn't kill them. And he reasons with them, says, if this is really of God, well, you're not going to be able to stop it. And if it's not, well, it'll just die out. And that's the context, the immediate context. I guess the other thing just to have in mind is the broader context, of course, is that the apostles have spent three years with Jesus. They've seen him in action. They've seen the love that he has for every single person. And they've heard him encouraging them to share that love with other people. 
And they've seen him go to the cross and embrace suffering like no other sort of suffering. And then they've seen him risen and raised. This is the context for these verses that we're going to read. Acts chapter 5 and verse 40 says, His speech persuaded them. That's the speech of Gamaliel. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So they decided not to kill them, but they still had them flogged. And it says this, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. I love that. They are so caught up with something, aren't they, and someone that they can't stay quiet. They've just got to share this Good news. That's what gospel is, isn't it? That's what the gospel is. It's good news. And when you've really experienced good news, you can't keep quiet about it. And so that's why the context is quite important. When we see what they were doing, how they were living, the fact that day after day after day, they just couldn't stop sharing the good news. You go, well, why? What was it about them that made them share the good news? Well, the truth is they'd experienced something themselves. They'd experienced the reality of this good news for themselves that meant they couldn't keep it to themselves. No matter what others said to them, they were going to share this. They weren't going to keep it just to themselves. And uh, why were they so committed to being generous with the gospel? Well, because they'd seen the reality of this in Jesus and they didn't want to keep it to themselves. I guess it's why Paul prayed for the Ephesians, didn't he? He says, um, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love will have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. It's like, what does he pray for them? He doesn't pray that they might just be a bit more committed. No, no, no. He prays that they'll have a revelation and understanding. They will experience this love for themselves. Because once you experience this love for yourself, then you can't keep quiet. And I guess as we think about what it means to be generous with the gospel, what I, what I felt God wanted to underline more than anything else was, if you, as the people of God are going to be generous with his gospel. It's not because you'll just go, oh, yeah, I've been told. I've got to be more generous. I better try and tell someone, hadn't I? Grit my teeth. Come on, who am I going to tell? Well, that might last a day or two at best. If this is just going to be a day-by-day thing where you can't keep quiet, it'll be because of what you've seen and what you've experienced yourself. When you experience something really good, you can't keep it yourself. Um, I don't know how many Man United fans we have in here. Odd one or two, not many, no, few. Uh, well, I'm not a Man United fan. I actually support, I grew up in Oxford, I support Oxford United, and I'm also chaplain to Altrincham. So I'm a long way from being a Man United fan. But I have to say, I have watched their journey over the last three months with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and just thought, 
I found myself warming to them a little bit more than I used to, I have to say. And um, I got back from a meeting on Wednesday night at about quarter past nine, and my son Josh was watching um, the match that was going on on Wednesday night uh, when Man United were playing, and I and most others, I think, had written them off. They didn't have a chance of winning this. Um, they had a, a team of youngsters, and um, just they were already two goals behind at the start of the match. When I got in, well, there was just a little bit of a chance. They were 2-1 up, and they still needed to score another goal. But it was a possibility now. And so I sat down and I watched with Josh. And, um, and then you, Paris Saint-Germain had lots of chances and probably should have won and scored other goals. They didn't. And then, somehow, amazingly, they got given this remarkable penalty through the VAR system, which I'm getting too technical now for those that don't like football. Um, and, um, and they ended up winning in the most remarkable fashion. Well, Josh and I... There you go. The odd one or two claps. Josh and I were, first of all, yes, up and shouting downstairs. We couldn't help but running upstairs to see Emma, my wife, and Anna, my daughter, who are not particularly interested. But we had to tell them anyway. It was so exciting. And when you experience stuff that's good, you want to get it out. You want to share it with others. So I have three main points. All right? Why were they so committed to being generous with the gospel? Firstly, because they'd seen and experienced Christ's love and compassion. Jesus invites his disciples to be with him. They're going around. They're watching him doing all the business. He's healing the sick. He's driving out demons. He's teaching the good news of the kingdom. And they're going, cool, this is good. And if you read in Matthew 9.35, that's what they say he's doing. Matthew records him as doing all that. And then it says this. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is doing all this stuff. But when he sees the numbers of people and he understands what their lives are like and how lost they are, what happens? He just has compassion. He's filled with compassion for people. He's filled with compassion for the crowds. And what does that make him do? He thinks, oh, I better just go around and heal more people, do more stuff. No, actually what he does is he calls the disciples to him. And he says, oh, you see all this? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for workers. And so they touch something of his heart and love for the crowds, which says, do you know what? We've got to do something for these people. We can't leave them lost. We need to point them towards the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And so they pray, or we imagine they do, he tells them to. And then immediately afterwards, if you read the start of Matthew chapter 10, he calls them to him, and he gives them authority to start doing what he was doing. He says, I'll give you authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. In other words, he's saying, the crowds are so many. You've got to do this. I'm giving this to you. I'm entrusting this to you. Why? Because he loves people. That was his heart of motivation, love for people. And as they spent time with him, that's what he loved they'll have seen love in action again and again and again. Wherever he went, whoever he was with, he just loved people. People that others didn't love, he loved. Zacchaeus, 
Everyone else has got no interest in him. He's on his own. They just see him as someone who's robbing them and, and, and is fraudulent. And, and they see him in one particular way. Small, greedy, selfish little man. And he's left on his, his own. But Jesus sees him in a different way. As a man with all sorts of needs who he wants to meet. And so, as Zacchaeus goes up the tree, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And he goes and spends time with him. And I guess the disciples, they're watching this. Stuff's going off. They're going, oh, it's taking a bit to compute all this. And then they observe the impact that's going on in Zacchaeus' life. And what happens? Well, literally, there's, he encounters love in such a way as Jesus comes into his home that everything changes. No longer am I going to cheat. In fact, everyone I have cheated, I'm going to give four times back. And I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. What on earth has brought about such a transformation? It's experiencing the love of Jesus. Someone who sees beyond what other people see. I heard someone say this. He said, you've never looked into the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. You've never looked into the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. Wherever you go this week, whoever you're with, whoever you're working with, the most irritating person that you work with, you look them in the eye and remember, they matter to God. God loves them. And who knows what stuff's gone on in their lives that's causing them to act like they're acting. But they deserve an opportunity to hear about the love of Jesus and the incredible grace of God that's available to each and every person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, a number of years ago, I, uh, we, we have um, a team who are out in, working in um, Kazakhstan as they're looking to try and see basically a whole disciple-making movement established in that area of the world. And um, I have the privilege of going out there quite regularly. A few years ago, I went out, out there, and um, while we were there, I was with a team, and um, we'd went up to the flat where one of the guys on the team was staying. And um, you go up these fairly basic outdoor steps um, to get to the flat. And as I, as I go up the stairs, um, I see, uh, sort of for about an 8 o'clock in the morning meeting, I see this guy on the steps. And he looks like he's asleep. And he's not moving, and he's just on the steps. And, and there's quite a smell as you go past him. I think, oh, that's strange. Anyway, I go up, go into the meeting we have. We meet for about an hour in this flat and then come back out for the things we're going to go and do during the day. And as we walk back down the stairs, he's still there and he hasn't moved. That's a bit strange. But anyway, we go off and we spend the whole day out doing different things. And by the end of the day, I was pretty exhausted. We came back um, for a sort of bit of a debrief and we were, to be honest, we were going, we'd already set what we were going to do. We were, there was nice cheese and biscuits and wine that was um, available in the flat. We were going to have a bit of a relaxed evening as a team. Come up the stairs. This guy is still there. And it's like, goodness me, he hasn't moved again. And so at this point, we sort of try and see, is he, is he actually alive? And he clearly is alive and he begins to react a little bit. Um, but he stinks of urine, and it's just, he's obviously in a real state. And um, we didn't know what to do, except one of the guys on the ground said, there said, he obviously needs help. 
And I think I know somewhere we could take him. Um, let's, um, let's try and do that. And so we worked out between us as a team who was going to go and try and take him somewhere. And I have to say, I'm not very proud of this, but I felt like I drew the short straw. Because um, Jeff, who, who lives there, was going to go ring a taxi so we could take him. So he was going to go, and someone else needed to go with him. And so somehow it landed on me going. And um, so we help him down the stairs. And while we're helping him down the stairs, all I can think of is how much he stinks and how much everyone else is having a nice, relaxed time with the bottle of wine that's now open. And uh, we, get in the, we get to the taxi down the stairs... We're trying to help him in the taxi. Jeff has to go in the front because he speaks the language and can explain where he's going to the taxi driver. I'm on the back seat with him. Sadly, I am at one end and he is right on the other end. I am just so aware of the stink and the fact that I've drawn the short straw. We're driving there. And as we're driving there, all I can say is I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. I felt the Holy Spirit say, I love this man like I love your Josh. Josh is obviously our son. And he said, and if your Josh was in this situation, I'd want to be stirring someone to be reaching out to help him and to love him. And do you know what? Suddenly, everything changed. It's like I saw this person totally differently. And now, instead of being at the end of the seat, I... I can't, I can't converse with him linguistically, but through touch, whatever, I was unaware of the smell now. I just wanted him to know that he mattered and he was important and he was loved. And by the time we got to the place where we were going, I couldn't get close enough to him to put my arm around him and help him in to where we were taking him to. Everything changed. I suddenly was convicted of how I was seeing this person. And I'd love to say that ever since then, I've... Ne- I've, I've I've seen every person through the same lens and the same eyes. I wish I could say that. I'm afraid that's not the case. But it was a lesson for me because I realized this is how God sees every single person. This is his sort of love for people. And, and when we carry his love, when we understand and we see people through the right lens in the way that we have compassion like he has compassion, it will motivate us to reach out in generosity. You won't worry about not having your glass of wine wherever you are. You'll go, who can I bless? How can I express the love of God to those around? So they'd seen and experienced Christ's love and compassion. Secondly, They'd seen and experienced Christ's sacrifice, suffering, and generosity. They'd seen and experienced Christ's sacrifice, suffering, and generosity. They didn't think that living the Christian life was necessarily meant to be easy. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5. He wrote to the Corinthians, says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. It says, And he died for all, that those who live, and as I'm looking out here, I'm pretty confident that everyone here is, that is you know, those who live, I think you live. He died for all, that those who live, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. He suffered for you and for me. He embraced the cross for us 
And you know what? He embraced the cross for the most irritating person at work, for the person in your family who has the greatest needs and the least needs. He embraced the cross. And now, having, since he's died for us, we are called to not live for ourselves, but for him. And guess what? Strangely, that involves suffering too. Generosity involves sacrifice. When you really experience the generosity of God, when you really understand what he's done through the cross, you can't get away from the fact that it involves sacrifice. Suffering and sacrifice was part of the Jesus life. That's what the apostles had observed. They didn't think the Christian life was just about what they could get, but what they could give. Jesus had said, freely you have received. Freely give. They knew it wasn't just for them. This was to be shared with others. And even when they got flogged, even when they got put in prison, it didn't leave them going, oh, we must be doing something wrong. Because actually, they understood. This is the Jesus life. This is what we've been called and invited into, to playing our part in. If you really understand how good the gospel is, how it really is good news, you won't keep it to yourself. And the more you end up sharing it with other people, do you know what happens? It's like a positive cycle. The more you want to share it with others again and again and again. We, we decided at Life Church fairly recently that we wanted to try and um, mobilize all our different life groups um, to take responsibility, not just for a group of people who are in the church, but for a particular community that they are either living in or working in and have an identified community that they're trying to reach out and share the love of God with. And with that in mind, we tried to sow this idea that they might like, as groups, to host an alpha course at, at certain points. And, um, and so, knowing that that's what we were trying to encourage others to do, we felt like, well, we better, you know, sort of put our money where our mouth is, and, um, and we'll do that. And so Emma and I said, we will host an alpha in our home for those that live around our streets and in our immediate neighborhood. And that then puts you going, well, who are we going to invite? What are we going to do? And um, sometimes when you just step out in faith, go, we want to try and share this good news with others. God opens up doors for you. And um, we ended up having a number of people from our immediate community that we, we just got to connect with and we could invite into our home and come and have a meal with us and do the Alpha course with us. And it proved to be the most fantastic adventure. Emma bumped into or got to know an Albanian woman who had come into um, our life centre. Uh, her name's Eureda. And um, she came in looking for the mums and tots that we do, but she was there on the wrong day. And so Emma just began talking to her and said, well, if you want... Um, it's, it's tomorrow on Friday morning. If you want, I'll come with you to it. And Eureka, who had been living in this country for two years, immediately threw her arms around her and said, oh, my first English friend, thank you. And all she said was, I'll come to Mums and Tots with you. But Emma realized this was a bit of a prompt. And so we ended up inviting 
her and her husband to come on the Alpha course that we were hosting. Um, they've got little kids, so only one of them came. He came first of all. And by the end of the Alpha course, we'd had the privilege of seeing opening up his heart to Jesus and welcoming him into his life. And then the next Alpha course, we, we, we so loved it, we ran another one in our home. Um, and Eureka came on it. And I'm a bit less sure exactly where she is on her journey. But, but she's definitely a fair way on on her journey. And it's just so exciting to see. Another couple called Darren and Kerry. They live just around the corner from us. And their son went to nursery with our son, Josh. That was 10 years ago. Well, more than 10 years ago now. But um, at the point we were about to launch this Alpha course, Emma bumped into Kerry. And Kerry said, why don't we go for coffee? So they went for coffee. And Emma invited Kerry on the Alpha course. And she brought Darren, her husband. Um, they're in their early 50s. And, um, and I, we had the privilege of just watching them go on this journey where they encountered Jesus for themselves, basically. And they'd come. And to start with, Darren came a bit begrudgingly because Kerry had asked him to come. And on the third week, he got especially agitated when he thought that on the film, because we used the film series, on the film they were saying that he wasn't a Christian. Actually, now he looks back and goes, that was so good. That's what made the difference. It helped me to realize I needed to make my own decision for Jesus. And, um, and then on about the fourth or fifth week, you get to a point where they talk about prayer. And they, you say, if you want, you could just take a moment to be quiet and to pray. And we, so we gave that opportunity. And, um, and a couple of people sort of prayed the simplest prayers out loud. And just to hear them expressing something was so exciting. At the end of that, Darren says, just so you know, I will never do that. I will never pray out loud. That's just not for me. All right, that's fine, Darren. That's fine. No one has to. Um, we then have our Holy Spirit Day a bit later on. And the previous week before we had the Holy Spirit Day, Darren was working up in Edinburgh and so couldn't be there. And Kerry was there on her own. And she ended up just pouring her heart out about a situation in her life. And Emma just offers to pray with her. And she prays with her, and you can just see she has the most amazing experience of the Holy Spirit. It's like, wow. And so it just prepares the way for this day that we then have. And so she's telling a bit of a story. And, you know, it's, still, it's just a small group because we've, you know, it's, just, it's in our home. We eat together. There was 11 people on it. And um, we have this day. It all feels a bit intimate and small. And then you're saying, well, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and Phyllis, and why don't you just, it's an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, to come by his spirit, and let's just see what he does. So we're sitting quietly, and it's all a bit quiet, and maybe, to be honest, slightly uncomfortable. You're like, I want something to happen here. And so we just said, does anyone want anyone specifically to pray with them? And Kerry goes, um, Darren, you need someone to pray with you, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Darren's like, and uh, he goes, hmm, well, why don't you pray for me then, Kerry? So, so Kerry ends up praying, putting her hand on Darren's shoulder and praying, and praying the most amazing prayer. Just saying, may he know that he's the best dad. May he know how much you love him and how, how you want to work in his life. And, and it's just like, uh, and Emma and I, our tears are running down our cheeks. And then, um, and then when Darren's had his prayer, um, Darren says to Kerry, well, you better be prayed for. And Kerry goes, no, 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 I was prayed for on Wednesday. I'm fine. And um, she goes, no, 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 you should be prayed for today. So Kerry goes, okay, well, you pray for me then, Darren. And this man who said, I'll never do that, um, 
ends up praying for his wife in the most beautiful way. I'll tell you what, just watching them go on their journey, it is so thrilling. We actually invited them to be the helpers on the course we then ran in our home the next term, which Eureka came to. I, it, once you start sharing and you see him at work and people experiencing the goodness of God, you don't want to stop. It's like a positive cycle. I'm running out of time, so I need to try and finish quickly. So they'd seen and experienced Christ's love and compassion. They'd seen and experienced Christ's sacrifice, suffering, and generosity. And finally, they'd seen and experienced Christ's provision and power. At the start of Acts, they'd been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. While they'd been with Jesus, they'd fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. They'd driven out demons and healed the sick in the authority of Jesus. Therefore, they realized that they didn't need to focus on the obstacles, but on the opportunities. They didn't focus on what they didn't have, but what they did have. They saw this little boy, when there's 5,000 men and probably a whole lot of women and children needing to be fed, bringing the simplicity of what he has, five loaves and two fish, and how when it's put in Jesus' hands... It multiplies in the most miraculous way to feed all those people and have stuff left over. They had seen his provision and that just offering what you have to him released a miracle. And so when they'd, when they'd experienced, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they can't keep quiet. They've got to point to who Jesus is. And when they're on their way to the temple course to pray and they meet up, a lame man who's begging and he's asking for money and they haven't got any money. They don't just think, oh, well, we haven't got what he's asking for. They go, no, no, no. He may not, we may not have what he's asking for, but we do have something. And we're going to share that. Says, we haven't got any money. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And each and every one of us have been given stuff to share. Freely you've received. Freely give. If you yourself have understood that Jesus died for you and you've experienced his love and the difference he makes in your life, it isn't just for you. He isn't just for you. He's for others. Um, I want to finish by uh, telling you about um, a guy uh, in Life Church called Deep. Deep... Um, is from Nepal, and he came as a student to Manchester. And while he was a student, someone gave him a Bible. He came from a deeply Hindu background. And someone gave him a Bible, and he basically, over a period of about six months, read the whole Bible and encountered Jesus. And his life was totally transformed. And he became part of the church family, and he just can't keep quiet. And um, he, once he'd finished at university, he was struggling to get a visa. And, um, and so he was going through various processes. His wife had a visa to be here in this country, but he didn't. And he was going through all sorts of different processes to try and get that visa. And he just kept hitting barriers and administrative problems, and it just got very difficult. And suddenly, when he, one time, he failed to turn up with the right paperwork for some reason 
And he got carted off to a detention centre in Glasgow. And, um, and he was there for about two weeks. And do you know what? While he was there, he led six people to the Lord. And um, his focus was not on, oh, God, woe is me. Isn't this hard? I'm in a detention centre. It was, oh, this is where God's placed me. Who can I share this amazing good news with? And some people were going back to nations which would know nothing of the gospel. And he just shared something of them, the good news. He actually has had to go back to Nepal in order to try and get his visa. And he went back just about five or six weeks ago. And he wrote this letter to us um, after two or three weeks of being back in Nepal. He says, greetings to all my dearest life church and life group. Um, Truly, my heart cries for Nepal, and I know now why he'd choose me. His English is still a little bit sort of... Thank you, Life Church and Life Group, for your regular pray, support, and encouragement. Please continue on your pray for my protection from the bad spirits, as I'm facing many challenges here, and wisdom and strength for just you while we're not physically together. And then he says this, Alleluia. I'm joyful to know that a few, roughly 20 out of 5,000 from my village, are Christian. I've already started encouraging them by sharing my testimony, and we've chosen to do his work in our village, town, country, world. I don't you love this spirit heart he carries? Um, I've, already given, I've already been given a responsibility for a church with almost 20 people, where four children are orphans. Almost 20 are new in Christ. Pray for us as we have to work together. Mostly I have to speak on Saturday services, and this Saturday we have a praying meeting also. And then he goes on to talk about... Um, Different things. And then he says this, Praise the Lord that every day I'm meeting my old friends from school, college, university, and village. And our Lord is speaking through me to share the gospel. In reply, everyone says, This is not the old deep. Deep has changed. And the, the truth is, he's been pushed out to going to Nepal. It's not where he wants to be. His wife is back here. But all the time he sees that there's an opportunity to share what he's experienced. And my prayer for you as individuals and as a church family would be that not just you think, oh, God, I've got to be generous with the gospel. But I think God's heart is that he gives us a fresh vision and revelation of who he is, of how amazing his love is. He wants each and every one of us involved in generously sharing this good news with others. And I believe that this morning, he wants to give each and every one of us a fresh vision of his love and compassion. That he wants to give each and every one of us a fresh vision of his sacrifice and his generosity. And a fresh vision and revelation of his power and his provision. So that... Like Paul, you might be fueled, or as he put it, compelled with Christ's love to make whatever sacrifices are necessary that this good news would go far and wide. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up, and maybe we could stand together and I'm going to pray.
And as we stand before the Lord of heaven and earth, who has given his very best for us, we can just quietly in our own hearts invite him to reveal afresh his love, his goodness, his generosity. And Lord God, I pray for every single one of us here today. Thank you for how you love each one of us so immensely and incredibly and totally. Where we viewed ourselves or we viewed other people with the wrong mindset, where we've not seen people with your compassion, we ask for your forgiveness. And we pray you'd flood us afresh with your love for every person. We pray that you'd give us the grace to offer ourselves and to offer this good news to anyone and to everyone. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.